What's up, everyone? You're listening to the Anthro Alert podcast, which is the recording of our live show, Anthro Alert. You can now listen at your leisure and at your convenience. If you're new here on Anthro Alert, this is where Renee and I, your hosts, and sometimes our guests, analyze, break down, and discuss different topics each week anthropologically. Enjoy. Hey, Bulls, you're listening to Bulls Radio, WSF 89.7 HD3 Tampa, 1620 AM on campus, and streaming worldwide at TuneIn.com and the TuneIn app. If you'd like to learn more, visit us at BullsRadio.org. It is 2 o'clock here and a beautiful, humid Tampa afternoon. Thank you for joining us. You're listening to Anthro Alert. Uh, If you're new to our show, let me just take a few seconds here and... uh, Tell you, tell you what we do here and, and what we're all about. So this is a show about anthropology and simply why it matters. Uh, each week we discuss how anthropology is relevant, and over time we'll feature various guests from the Department of Anthropology and actually um, other departments around the U.S. to discuss their research and have them weigh in on everyday topics or current events. We believe that this is a good opportunity for us as anthropologists to better connect with the USF community and to raise awareness of the value of an anthropological perspective. Uh, Just like every week, we like to preface our show uh, with the disclaimer that the statements we make and the opinions we express here on Anthro Alert are our opinion and may not necessarily be representative of anthropology as a discipline, the USF Anthropology Department, USF, or student government. And so with all that out of the way, um, I'm Spencer, and I'm sitting here with my co-host. Hi, uh, everybody. My name is Renee. I, I'm here uh, guest hosting Anthro, or Anthro Alert. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Alex. Yeah. So Alex, he's been coming around. He likes to... Like a stray animal. He <laughs> fed me one time. and then. So he likes to... Or he adds all the actual in- insightful anthropological analysis to the show and then renee and i just sit here and ask questions so we'd like to have alex here and i just come for the compliments <laughs> so renee do you want to introduce our guest for this week uh yeah so dr um so our guest this week is dr Catherine sanders who um, earned her phd from the university of montana correct yes. and and has done work in um, with in international development and with non-governmental organizations correct. in in many different places, um, but yeah. particularly yeah. like in Nepal and uh, Kenya, I believe, as well. Mm-hmm. 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 So hopefully she can uh, tell us more about that uh, over the course of the show. Do we have her on the line currently? Uh, yes, I'm here. Oh, oh. Wonder, Hi, Dr. Okay. Sanders. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Um, would you mind introducing yourself uh, just a little bit more in depth? Uh, not at all. Uh, so I have had a long interest in anthropology. I actually heard about the field when I was 14 years old and, and was attracted to it even then. Uh, but it wasn't until I uh, was doing my undergraduate in anthropology at Miami University in Ohio when I, um, I took my first uh, ecological anthropology course, which ended up having a very applied focus. And uh, that's the course that I realized um, anthropological knowledge is to apply it to the real-life situation. Mm. Uh, and so 
was kind of a roundabout getting there, but I uh, I did some work abroad in Kenya uh, and then ended up going to um, graduate school in, uh, at the University of Montana and doing uh, my dissertation work in Nepal, especially looking at, uh, at how NGO technologies and NGO programming um, were impacting villages in different ways in uh, a remote community in the Himalayas. Mm. Could you um, could you elaborate a little bit about your work in Nepal for your dissertation? Yeah, so I was um, working specifically in an area that didn't have a lot of NGO activity, um, at least in terms of action on the ground. And so, um, so I was able to look at, at two communities there. I was comparing different villages that were having that the you know the people in those villages were having very different reactions. To, uh, to one NGO's programming, um, and so this the, uh, the one village of interest was really uh, what we like to call risk averse or um, reluctant to engage with uh, uh, with the, the project. And so we were trying to kind of find out why that would be. And I designed a a research program around um, comparing those two and, and kind of uh, looking at different factors, ecological factors, um, but also uh, socioeconomic factors that were affecting uh, people's decisions to engage or not with, um, with programming, and, um, and found out a lot about how, um, kind of how people, like where people live, um, and how it really shapes their value systems, and how their values, um, in turn, uh, affect the, the trends that we see in terms of adoption of, of NGO technologies. Mm. And what were some of the the particular factors that that you found that were um, you know affecting the relationship between this village and and the NGOs that were that were present? Yeah, well, as, as you can imagine, it was really complex. But mm-hmm. um, but in this particular area of the Himalayas, there are. Um, but some people term micro niches, ecological micro niches, but mm-hmm. uh, that that make you know where one village uh, resides really different from from the one just down the pathway or across the river. Um, and so um, and so what we were finding was was that um, that that this one village that was considered very traditional, a very conservative that didn't want to engage with, with NGO programs, they actually had a lot of wealth in, in uh, natural resources. Uh, and, and because of their reliance on primarily agricultural livelihoods, um, they had to expend a lot of effort uh, on those pursuits. And they were also slightly more remote than the other village, so less likely to engage um, and all of this led to sort of some ideas about how to bring um, services closer to this village in a way that wouldn't, you know, unduly burden them um, as they go about their other pursuits. Mm. So I, I think that's a, a a good background. So we're going to go ahead and, and take a, a short break here, um, and then we're going to come back and, and continue the conversation with Dr. Sanders. So hold tight and um, stay tuned.
Hey everyone, you're listening to Bulls Radio, WSF 89.7 HD3 Tampa, 1620 AM on campus and always streaming worldwide at TuneIn.com and the TuneIn app. You're listening to Antho Alert, so thank you for coming back. We're speaking with Dr. Sanders from the University of Montana, where she got her PhD. Um, uh, we just, um, we're going over her dissertation research and now we're going to continue the, the conversation. Um, are you with us, Dr. Sanders? Yes, I am. Okay. Um, and so before we left, you were, you were talking about NGOs and the village in Nepal where you were doing your dissertation work and sort of the relationship there um, between the two and your uh, research program that you set up. I'm wondering if you could uh, talk more about, um, you know, monitoring and evaluation type research that NV- NGOs do and, you know, what is anthropology's role in, in that development type setting yeah thanks that's a great question the um you know in i think anthropology is really important when it comes to monitoring and evaluation especially in international development context because um you know i think anthropology is still one of the most conducive uh, disciplines for um for being able to seek out and understand and analyze uh, the voices of people that don't usually get heard. And I found that to be to be true in international development, that those voices um, are not often, um, you know, they're either not heard at all or they're very difficult to get to for a variety of reasons. But we, as anthropologists, are trained in ways of, of understanding um, local voices. And so, um, so I think that, that that's one of the most important aspects. What we're looking at in monitoring and evaluation is really impact. Uh, how do these programs affect people? And in order to be able to understand that, we have to, uh, we have to know what people are thinking and how they're um, acting as a result of, of those thoughts and how those all come together and are shaped. By uh, by circumstances and, mm-hmm. and context. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, um, kind of you know the NGO setup. Um, I don't have very much uh, experience myself with working with NGOs, but I, I, I've taken some courses and, and things like that on on anthropology and development, and know that sometimes, uh, I guess the 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 resources the. Uh, money but also the time that you have to do this type of research sometimes isn't enough or enough for what anthropologists would would like to really um get a good idea of of the complex nature of of the situation so you know how how do you um do you have any advice on you know how we do that sort of like rapid assessment ethnography type thing to really um uh, help help these these ngo type uh programs yeah, so I think um, I think being flexible may be um, may be a really important aspect of, of the work that I do. Um, we're not always able to do the full blown participant observation, long term field work that um, that we're lucky enough to be able to do during our dissertation research. 
Um, but we are able to take those skills and apply them to uh, context, just like what you said, uh, where budgets are, are constrained. You know, donors more often want to give money to programming itself, not to research about that programming. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and so, and that's understandable. And so, it's uh, it's a balance, it's a delicate balance. Uh, and I find that that where I can really advocate for anthropological um, methods and 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 anthropological research is when we're looking when the study questions demand it, um, and that's you know when we're we're wondering why things work the way they do, or you know we might have conducted a lot of quantitative research and found out um, x number of people are doing y, but um, but we don't understand how, um, how, what the implications are of that, or, mm-hmm. um, or, or why they're doing what they're doing. So, mm-hmm. um, and so, when that becomes the the center of, you know, the the central question, then then that's where anthropology really comes in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes you have to kind of guide people there, and um, and other times it's just it's just the most obvious question to ask. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's Alex. You have a question. I'm just wondering when you talk about um, uh, sometimes I get lost in abstraction. So when you're talking about um, different types of NGO programming, what are some of the problems you're trying to address? And I wonder who uh, sort of authored those problems. Like, was that something? Because when you, when you discuss like a risk-averse community, it doesn't want to necessarily engage. Who determined that there was a problem in that community? If, if that makes sense. Um, and then what kind of, yeah. what are you trying to address? Sure. Um, so I think, so a lot of the problems that arise will arise from, um, you know, from either from, from the stats that are, are regularly corrected or collected in these areas, um, such as DHS. So you might notice trends in terms of that, in terms of the problems. With this particular, with the dissertation research I was describing, um, it was observations on the ground from um, from previous researchers as well as NGO staff that had just noticed a difference. You know, it was anecdotal evidence of um, of differences in adoption, um, mm-hmm. but those were also coming through in their um, in the numbers of um, of technologies, for instance, being rolled out in those communities. Mm-hmm. I have a I have a question about um, kind of the the terminology that that is used um, in NGOs sometimes. You know, in anthropology, uh, generally we're cautioned against using terms like third world or developing and things like that. So, what is the usage of like the designation least developed country? I think you'd use that um, in a, the your bio that you'd sent us. What does that mean for anthropology and practice? You know, what what is least developed country? Um, mean as a term, um, and so and how does that kind of relate to anthropology and practice? Yeah, that's a that's a really great question. It's um, I kind of think of it as a as a bridging term, one that that people recognize, one uh, that is used frequently in uh, in the international development community. Mm. One thing I like about the term is that um, it expresses. Uh, the relative nature of well-being and wealth, um, mm. because it, you know you're talking about least developed. Well, least developed compared to who or or to what? And mm. so, 
Um, so it kind of it does get at some of those questions, but it, of course it's problematic too. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it it presupposes that um, that countries are changing, um, or it, it's not conducive to reflecting the change that many countries undergo. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course it 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 leaves unquestioned the assumptions um, about the definitions of of development. Um, and so I think that it is up to anthropologists to question those assumptions as we uh, as we approach our work, mm-hmm. especially if we're doing applied work. Mm-hmm. Um, and to um, to you know the very first thing uh, that I like to do when I when I come into a new community is to understand um, definitions of development and of of wealth and of poverty mm-hmm. uh, in a given area because they. Um, in my experience, they are incredibly diverse and varying. Mm. So, personally, uh, um, you know, as an anthropologist working kind of, you know, in this in this world now, uh, we'll we'll talk about that a little bit later in the current position that you're in. Um, you know, there's a lot of critiques in the literature of this type of work, but I'm curious, just personally, um, you know, what kind of challenges you've faced, and you know how you've tried to to overcome them as as an anthropologist or, you know, through your, you know, how, how I guess your education has helped you kind of get through some of the, some of these challenges. Sure. Um, there are, um, a lot of them do have to do with what we touched on already in terms of budgets and, um, and time and being able to do our ideal research versus, mm. Um, what you know, what there's budgeting for, um, and so we talked a little bit about that already. Mm-hmm. Another one is just communicating the importance of anthropological research to uh, to both people uh, living in the areas where you work, but also um, but to the the NGO staff and um, and uh, you know and the people who are implementing programs um, because. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of people hire evaluators or researchers um, out of necessity. Funders are incre- increasingly demanding it, mm. um, and um, and so if it doesn't come from the organization, uh, the organizations themselves, then it then it comes. Um, it may come out of the space where it, they don't quite understand the need for it. see something, see patterns, and and feel that they understand what's going on because Mm. they have a long-term relationship with these communities as well. Um, And so that can be a really tricky conversation or set of conversations to have with people trying to express um, things about sampling and about about, uh, understanding uh, variation Mm -hmm. in people's perspectives. Mm Mm-hmm. There was a second there, or there was a moment there, Dr. Sanders, where the, where the line cut out a little bit. But it sounded, and you can correct me here if, if I misheard, but it sounded like you were saying that it's it's very important for uh, the anthropologist who's working in this uh, in this setting, this um, this applied setting or this setting, to um, really facilitate the communication around what the anthropologist, um, what that type of work looks like, and what they're doing, um, in order to. Um, and here's my question because I need to double check what I heard uh, to 
um, kind of take ownership and 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 promote and publicize a little bit. Mm. Like our discipline. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I do think that that's, um, yeah, that's sort of what I was getting at. And, and, um, and that it's, yeah, it is our job because it's, we can't expect that, that people are going to automatically understand what it is we do and why it's important. But, mm. um, but yeah, and I think that conversation usually revolves around, um, uh, understanding variation and understanding that variation in, in human behavior can have uh, a lot of implications for mm. how a program turns out and, and the effects on local people. Mm. How have you gone about, um, you know, going off of what we were talking about, kind of showing the importance of anthropology or what anthropologists actually do? Have you ever felt in, you know, an NGO setting that you had to sort of prove yourself or, or your worth as an anthropologist, you know, collaborating with other disciplines or just, you know, in the NGO development area in general? Uh, you know, I expected that to come up a lot more than it than it actually has. I mean, I think mm-hmm. the biggest challenge is being able to speak the, the right language, being yeah. able to communicate across all the jargon. Anthropologists sure. have jargon. Uh, NGOs have a lot of jargon, too. Oh. Uh, and so being able to use terminology that everyone understands and to, um, and to express, um, you know, express across these disciplinary lines mm-hmm. is the, the most key skill I find in that area because what it comes down to is that uh, anthropo- I, I do see anthropological work as inherently valuable. Um, and it does help address, you know, a lot of the questions that people ask when you get down to it, when you kind of look behind those questions and try to figure out, okay, what are we really trying to understand here? Uh, anthropological knowledge is is very central to understanding those. So it's not the actual, um, it, you know, anthropological research I feel I have to defend. It's just kind of getting to the language that mm-hmm. that uh, where people can understand what it is we do and how it relates to uh, the understanding that they want to gain. I think that's a really useful insight for individuals that that may want to work with NGOs or, or get into anthropology and development type work. Um, and so, yeah, thank thank you for that insight. That's a um, I think that's really important to understand, uh, not only in development but also just uh, anthropolo- anthropologists collaborating with other disciplines in general and interdisciplinary work is understanding the jargon that we use, how to communicate that, but also understanding the jargon of other disciplines yeah, uh, it's, it's, I mean it sounds like that communication is really like the like one of the big bigger transferable skills and mm. um, skills to like transfer um, knowledge and build value and and yeah just communicate I guess right duh. right exactly absolutely uh, mm. so I think we're gonna stop right there we're gonna take another short break um, we're gonna play some music so sit back and relax and then uh, make sure to stay tuned because we'll be back with dr. Sanders Hey, Bulls. How's it going? You're listening to Anthro Alert on Bulls Radio, WSF 89.7 HD3 Tampa, 1620 AM on campus, and always streaming worldwide at TuneIn.com and the TuneIn app. For the past 34 minutes, we have been talking to Dr. Sanders um, about her work um, in Nepal, but also just her work in uh, the NGO setting, anthropology and development, um, 
and topics of those nature or of that nature. Um, so evaluation, monitoring, impact evaluation, and research. So thank you for coming back with us, and we're going to continue the the conversation. Dr. Sanders, are you with us? I am. Okay. Thank you for thank you for staying tuned. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so actually, you're you've kind of uh, transitioned from. I guess the academic setting more to, I guess, right into um, more of an NGO setting, correct? Yeah. So um, for the past, I'd say, decade or so, even while I was in graduate school, mm-hmm. I um, I was doing a lot of evaluation and research work. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm, I'm transitioning more into program implementation. Okay. Um, so, um, so, yeah, big change. Yeah, can you uh, kind of tell us about what that transition has been like for you, and some of the, I don't know, some of the the differences, the challenges. Just um, you know, what what's that transition like from monitoring evaluation to to programming? Um, I can I can speak mostly on a theoretical level at this point because I just started this mm-hmm. new position. Um, okay. But I can I can talk a little bit about why um, you know why I think. Uh, it's a good transition or how it kind of fits in with my um, my anthropological background and my um, sure. and my evaluation work mm. um, which is to say that um, you know I in to, to really break it down I think it is um, it's a risky it's a risky move but I think it's time to um, to kind of you know for all these years I've been, um, I've been looking at programming and, and offering advice and, and, you know, and the data uh, that I collect uh, contributes to, to programming in many, many ways. Um, and I do, and I'll, I'll still be doing um, evaluation work as well in this capacity, but I do think that it's time to, to start practicing what I preach and to and to really understand what are the um, the effects of, of taking advice that comes from from the evaluators and the researchers um, and and putting that into action because uh, there's there are many ways to do that and so I think that'll be both a challenge and um, and a, an accomplishment as I move into this role as um, you know sort of seeing what works, and, and I think it will actually help my evaluation and research um, to sort of encounter that firsthand. So that's refreshing for me to hear, uh, just because that's uh, something that comes up off, often in, like, class discussion, for example, where, um, you know, in, in class, like, like we, we complain that, oh, well, nobody asked um, an anthropologist for input prior to, like, the planning or implementation. So I think it's good, definitely, that... Uh, you are venturing into that part of um, program implementation because that I mean because then then we as anthropo we don't have an excuse right mm. like, like we can we, we can really dig in there and, and try and apply some things and um, and learn lessons uh, in a little different way and so uh, so I so that's refreshing again like I said for me to hear that, that that's the type of um, position that you're endeavoring to pursue now. Mm. Right, and I think the I think the challenges are going to be uh, both in terms of um, all right, you know, does it work to use <laughs> to use anthropological knowledge uh, to create better programs from from the start, mm. um, but also in terms of of using that knowledge appropriately, uh, so in the ways 
that I implement anthropological knowledge mm-hmm. um, in, into programs. And I, and I think that both of those will be quite challenging, and, um, but also exciting. Mm. So can you kind of, can you explain for those who don't really understand how the process works, um, kind of what, what the steps are in, in monitoring evaluations and, and research, so kind of collecting information on what the problem may be versus, um, you know, the planning and, and programming aspect of, of um, you know, NGO development work? Yeah, there are all kinds, I guess, is, is the short answer. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, sometimes we're brought in uh, as evaluators, especially if you're in, um, well, actually, either way, if you're internal or externally based uh, within an organization, uh, you may be brought in at the very beginning uh, of programming, and that's ideal. We always want to be brought in first so that um, so that we can kind of have that theory of change discussion is is what it's called in the development world and, um, well, in, in evaluation in general. And, um, and so that's basically the, I, the theory uh, behind the, the programs that are being implemented. And evaluators and researchers have a lot to say about, um, you know, about how, about drawing the connections between the change you want to make and, um, and, and what, you know, is being observed on the ground, and 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 how um, and how you address those challenges that you're observing. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's that's the ideal is that you would be brought in uh, at the very beginning to kind of take a look at the questions that are being asked, um, make sure they're measurable or there's something that that can be uh, addressed through evaluation and research, and then um, and then kind of look at. Um, what evidence uh, already exists to um, to support uh, the the assumptions embedded in the, the program implementation? Because there, um, all program implementation has to make certain assumptions before starting. And so, um, but then oftentimes we're not brought in until after. Um, and so it's usually in those cases it it will be after the program has already been designed. Um, and then maybe you still get to do a baseline, and that's that's the really key part in evaluation and research is is being able to be there at the beginning before any programs are implemented, um, and kind of look at okay, what's the situation now, um, so that you can compare it to something later. Um, and so um, and so that uh, hopefully there's a baseline, if uh, even if you're not brought in in the planning stages. Um, and then we also do evaluations that are where we're brought in um, kind of at the end of a program and, um, and they want to look at, um, you know, sort of uh, they want to understand the impact of that program. And that's much, much harder to do. And, um, and, but at the same time, it's a, it's a great place to advocate, advocate for you know, sort of alternative ways of understanding impact as well because of the, you know, the limitations or the methods that are available to you as you know, so late in the programming game. Hey, Dr. Sanders, what would be like an example uh, in something in your experience of uh, of an outcome that you, that you're helping to like more clearly define so that it can be measured? Yeah. So, um, so a lot of, especially I was trained in medical anthropology, so a lot of the programs I look at are 
geared towards some sort of health outcome. Um, and so, um, so a lot of times that health outcome is as big as, um, as enhanced well-being in a general community. Um, and so then you have to, you have to ask a lot of questions about, okay, whose, whose definition of well-being are we using? And, um, and, and what does that mean? And, and who are we defining it for? Um, and then, uh, and then you can start to kind of break that down. So then you, you might find out through the course of those conversations that, um, that, that well-being means um, that people are happier. Well, that's a really different thing than um, well-being being because um, people are sick less often. Um, and so there, there are um, a variety of ways to define that, and, and that's what sort of uh, evaluators and researchers will come and try to hone in on. And in your experience, Dr. Sanders, are, are most or, or how do um, NGOs and, and development organizations and such, like how, how effective are they in, in clearly defining those um, on, their, uh, on their own ahead of time? Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, what is that? I mean, how does that look from your perspective? Yeah, you know, it's all over the board. Just, it, just like with everything else, there are um, there are people who have a well-defined. There are organizations that have a really well-defined theory of change from the very beginning, where they they say, look, there is research that shows that these um, types of projects lead to uh, this type of outcome. Um, and so we're going to try to apply it in a slightly different way here. Um, and so they might be that well thought out where, where A leads to B leads to C. But, um, but yeah, a lot of people haven't thought about that and um, need some guidance to get there. And I do see that as a key role for evaluators and researchers uh, in international development is to, um, is to help everyone think not everyone, um, you know, will break down the process in that way. And so, um, so you know, a good evaluator is, is that technical assistance piece where you're providing people the skills, the questions, and the, um, and the uh, toolkit of methodologies that, uh, that will help them answer those questions or at least ask them in the first place. Mm-hmm. Sorry, you uh, you broke up a little bit there. Um, can you uh, rewind and, and repeat yourself? I'm sorry. Just, no, just, no yeah, problem. I'm sorry, bit, it sorry. might be from our end too. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, um, so I was just saying that that um, that this is all across the board uh, in terms of um, some people. Some people have defined that pathway. Mm. Um, very well, and yeah. others, um, and I do, and I see that as a really key role that's maybe not always mentioned uh, when it comes to evaluation and research. Mm-hmm. Is that uh, your job to uh, um, guide people to ask the right questions, right, um, and to um, to know what those questions are, and to um, then ask questions that that can be answered through mm. evaluation. Mm. And so what got you interested in this type of work in anthropology and development and, you know, just 
working with with NGOs. Was this cultivated at the University of Montana, or did you have an interest in this? Or you know, before you went into your PhD program? Yeah. So I'd um, I'd been interested in um, in like I said, agricultural livelihoods, which yeah. it seems like it might be far a far way away from medical anthropology, but. Um, but I had uh, had the opportunity to do some work in rural Maine uh, on in some um, community agriculture programs, um, and then it was shortly after that that I um, had the opportunity to volunteer with an organization doing agricultural in Kenya, uh, the organization that I actually currently work for, Expanding Opportunities, and um, and so. We um, and so that got me. What really stood out to me during my time in Kenya was that I didn't have all the answers. That I, I needed a toolkit to understand uh, what what poverty really meant there, and what were you know what some of the um, the best solutions to a lack of well-being uh, there could be in in that situation. So I found myself very lost in that first. Uh, mm-hmm. That first time abroad, and really wanted to um, go back to school so I could find um, find ways of of addressing human problems. Mm-hmm. And um, did I does the University of Montana does it specialize in development type work, or is this something that maybe you just kind of cultivated, you know, on on your own? No, they. Um, so at the time that I um, that I started graduate school at University of Montana, they um, they actually had a really strong medical anthropology program. Okay. Um, and so um, and so that's what sort of led to that transition, as well as the you know the, the uh, natural relationship between um, between rural livelihoods, food, and health. Right. And so um, and so. Um, so yeah, I took advantage of, of, uh, of the mentors available in that department, um, my advisor as well as other medical anthropologists, and um, and they really helped guide me in, in understanding um, and applying anthropological knowledge to the health problems and, and the international development world. Hmm. So, oh, Alex, do you have a question? Yeah, I was just I was also kind of wondering for all our nation anthropologists starting out. Um, how smooth was that transition from your dissertation to working in that industry? Did you find that there was a pretty good demand, I guess, as I would put it? Um, yeah, I, I would say that's, again, something that really varies. I would say my situation was pretty unique um, because I was able to um, I was able to do my dissertation work, uh, you know, with an organization that, later um opened up a position or you know had the need mm. for um for more research and evaluation uh, so they were they were hiring right around the time i came, i um completed my phd and um and so i was really lucky in that way and i i don't think many are as far as the demand for uh anthropological work I feel like I've gotten a much better sense of that since um, since leaving that first organization when I transitioned into external evaluation um, and got to know a lot of different programs at the same time. 
and what I found is that um, is that per, anthropology per se is is not in demand. I would say, hmm. um, but of course, again, it, it comes down to communication, right? So communicating um, about social science research. I, mean, I think people that terminology is more palatable and much and people can understand that a lot better um, and so I think you can um, I think anthropological knowledge is in demand but um, but it's not being called that and mm-hmm. um, and so you have to kind of roll with with uh, whatever terminology is being used and and in that world it was at the time it was social science research and um, and understanding human behavior so speaking in, in those terms because it, as we know, anthropology can mean so many different things. Yeah, right. And when you say, just to clarify, when you say external, you mean consulting? Um, yeah, it's kind of, it's like consulting. I worked for an external evaluation firm, um, and uh, they they had so you would have a, a portfolio of projects and um, and you'd work on all of them at the same time, and um, and then uh, you're breaking up, Dr. Sanders. Sorry. Um, we can't. Okay. Yeah. I, th- I think we might have lost Dr. Sanders. So we're going to go ahead and uh, wrap up the show. Um, well, this hour of the show. Um, so we want to thank Dr. Sanders for um, coming on and, and speaking with us. Um, and so make sure to stay tuned, though, because we will have another guest on the second hour of the show, and it's going to be a great conversation. So stay tuned.